is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. All right, welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. This show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some killer free content not shared on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. And if you're new and you want to know more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm live programs in LA, check out the toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, attraction science, business networking, negotiation, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on for days, but you guys get the gist. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. Details on those at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. You can call us or you can email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, believe it or not. So, and speaking of which, if you guys write me and I give you like a one-liner back, don't be offended. I'm literally responding to maybe 200 emails in that one session, so don't take it personally that uh, you might have got a really short response. Got to be efficient in order to keep up with everyone. Today, we're talking with Isaac Tolpin. We're going to talk about a concept called positive disruption, what it is and why it accelerates you towards what you want, productive versus reproductive thinking, asking yourself powerful questions and how to do it reproductively, according to his definition, catching yourself making biased decisions and lacking clear thinking, managing a business, marriage, and family, and how to stay focused and picking winning ideas from the rest. So enjoy this one with Isaac Tolpin. I mean, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and, and then we'll decide whether or not we should keep listening to this show. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you, Jordan. Uh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, innovative leader in the e-learning industry, co-founded a couple companies, uh, Choose Growth, which is pioneering in a media company. Essentially, we create e-learning for thought leaders and a co-founder of a tech company called Throwing Boulders, and we create technology solutions. I would say, you know, I'm passionate about leadership. I'm passionate about impacting the world and equipping and helping other people to do that in leveraged ways. Both of our companies are positioned really well to help others impact the world too. And on a personal note, I've you know, married 15 years of six amazing kids and they're going to change the world. I mean, that's my first and foremost focus. Uh, family project uh, where I grew, you know, been living a long time, was in Portland, Oregon. We have a vineyard over there, about a 1,200 plants, Pinot Noir and Riesling, and uh, the family did that together. Now I'm in Bend. We moved our headquarters to Bend, so I'm in beautiful Bend, Oregon, but it's great to be here. Nice. So your kids are going to change the world. No pressure, guys. No yeah, pressure. You know, you know what I do there is I just, uh, I say a prayer over them that um, they would do whatever they're called to do. But behind the scenes, I, you know, I kind of think like that. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Because I was like, talk about living in just the shadow of expectations. Hey, yeah. no worries. I mean, if you don't change the world, it's fine. You just failed your father. No big deal, yeah. though. Have yeah, fun. Yeah. Have fun exactly. at soccer practice. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about, I mean, you've got a long entrepreneur journey here, obviously. Tell us why you're, I mean, why be in the tech field? You got wine going on. You've got other businesses. Why are you so bent on positive disruption? And what, first of all, what is that? 
and why are you so bent on it? I mean, why is it so important to you? Yeah, because status quo is always seeping into our lives and businesses and leadership, and it takes purposeful, purposely changing something, disrupting something to create a ripple effect of change. And if you're not if you're not doing it purposefully, it's often it's often not positive. It's come it's creeping up on you. Circumstances happen, and that happens to everybody. But sometimes you have to make change proactively as a leader seeing the future and creating change that's needed either within yourself or your business today that is going to be needed down the road. And if you don't do it today, um, you'll miss opportunity. You'll miss pursuing your passion and what your calling is. And so positive disruption is just something I coined a long time ago and I've always used myself and organizations I lead. And I think it's just a great way to look at purposefully doing painful things sometimes in the short run or creating change in the short run that don't need to be changed now, but are necessary for the path that's coming ahead. Okay, got it. It's important to constantly be moving forward. We got that. We constant innovation. Some people thrive on that, but what does it do for us? Yeah, I think it's disruptive, right? You think of where's the word disruptive used today? It's disruptive technologies and so forth. And that has to do with innovation. So if you're not personally on a very practical level in your life, we can get a rhythm in our life of going through whatever our emotions are. And they can even be very good. But if you don't stop and strategically think about the path you're on versus the path you want to be on and what you need to change, what habits need to be adjusted in your life, what decisions you need to make in your leadership, what changes you need to make in your company today to reflect what will be needed down the road, you won't be as happy as you could be with the outcomes later. And so I would say it's a proactive leadership initiative to change things today in the short run to impact the future versus a reactive leadership, personal leadership or within your organization um, of once things come, I try and change things. And that's often too late to really pursue what we want. Sure. I understand this. It's almost like Newton's law. I think those are, are his, right? Where it's like, the object traveling in space, and if you nudge it just a little bit, it'll continue to go in that direction, and it just continues to make huge changes, you know, 10,000 miles out. That little nudge, that millimeter, is miles and miles and miles or hundreds of miles or whatever it ends up being. And I see this in people's lives as well. They're like, oh, well, you know, making big changes is really hard because we want the results fast, but if you're constantly thinking, how can I improve, how can I hone this, how can I constantly positively disrupt my habits or routines or status quo, you can end up making massive changes over just a few years by being, making small changes in the beginning. And I, I totally get that people fall into our routines, whether or not it's an industry or whether or not it's just us personally. If we're not developing good habits, theoretically, we could, it could be argued that we're developing bad habits or at least, at least habits of mediocrity or status quo. Exactly. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So take, but let's be honest. I mean, how many people actually do that? Let's be honest with yourself right now. Just ask yourself, you know, am I, am I really thinking about the small changes I need to make today? It could even be big that are necessary for the true vision and callings I have on this planet, no matter how big or small they are. It doesn't matter. It matters that you're doing what you're called to do. And a lot of times, the world, the culture, uh, comfort around this can suck us away from actually achieving that. And you don't notice it unless you're alert and on purpose uh, to create those changes now. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, 
for many people listening, the answer to that question is if you're taking a good hard look at yourself is yes, I am taking action. But again, self-selecting group of people that went, found specific shows with very actionable knowledge on personal growth, self-improvement, et cetera. And so, yeah, you're talking to the right people. Yep. But the answer to that question when you're speaking to a room full of everybody's is, you know, there's probably a few hands that go up. And even half of those people are probably lying to themselves or at least, at least to you. Uh, you talk about productive versus reproductive thinking. What is that? I mean, it seems like you've obviously done a lot of reproductive thinking with six kids, but I assume you have a different definition for us. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, reproductive thinking. It comes, I think I read this in the book, Think Better, but it has to do with the word Kaizen, the Japanese called Kaizen, which is constant, never-ending improvement. We're all familiar with that kind of thing. And he says that's not enough today to lead change and be ahead of the curve. And it really, you know, is reproductive thinking is how can I take what I have and make it a little bit better and then a little bit better and a little bit better? Well, what if what you already have in whatever aspect you have needs a, an overhaul? You need to kind of reset. You think of Apple computer, you know, they didn't just take what existed out there with phones. They had productive thinking and productive thinking, as the author of this book says, with the word would be ten kaizen. That word actually doesn't exist in Japanese, but if it did, it would mean something like good revolution. And good revolution is to really get to what I would call clear thinking about something and go, you know what, am I just reproducing a little bit better of what I have or am I, do I really need to think even better about this? Do I need to have productive thinking, which isn't from a starting point of what we've already done. It's from a whole new innovative thinking space. And so that's really what it means. And I think that plays out. And I know everybody listening are very successful people, very in tune with developing themselves. That's why they love the show. And I would say that even achievers, and thinking about myself, is I've had experiences where I'm the top of my game and what I'm doing. Like, you know, I'm one of the very best. Um, but at the same time, I've had experiences where I stopped the reproductive thinking and I really... I really paid attention, okay, and I questioned all kinds of things. And so it's good to start questioning these things and go, is this really the way? Why are we doing it this way? You know, is there a better way? What is that better way? And and, and to start from anew. And I've seen that happen where we, we went from 5 to 10 million in revenues, for example, even though we were already very successful. Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for sort of conscious and I hate using words like outside the box thinking, but it, it really, it became a cliche for a reason, right? Sure. How can we sort of hone this skill set or this as a skill set? Because I think it's tough to just go, all right, I need to think differently. I mean, that's like saying be taller or, you know, you know I mean, it's really tough. It's a tough it, call. It is. It is. And I think it starts with asking yourself powerful questions. I think it really comes down to, you know, looking at the quality of the questions we're asking ourselves. And, you know, obviously many people have probably been coached before or coached others perhaps in this call. The questions are so amazing because your mind constantly works on whatever questions you're asking. And so really questioning things and thinking critically about the titles we give people, for example, about you know, how we're compensating, about, you know, how we're spending our time to you know, how the fundamentals of our business works and really, really asking yourself a question like, you know, on a certain thing is where can I improve my leadership? You know, can this system 
be better. If this condition, sometimes you have to let go of constraints too. So you might have certain constraints on you. Well, we do it this way because of this. Well, get rid of those constraints so you can get to some clear thinking, some productive thinking, and actually think through that. And then ask yourself some powerful questions. So remove constraints, ask powerful questions, and then your mind will go to work on some new solutions that have never been thought of before. You'd probably be ridiculed for some of them, especially if you implement them. But, you know, sometimes it creates a new energy in whatever you're doing. Sure. So, okay, what are some of the, the constraints you're talking about that we can remove and how do we go about doing that? Well, let's say you're working within a business structure, for example. There might be constraints in a big business structure like this is the way it's always been done and I'm not running the show, so I can't change that. Um, you know, that limits everybody's thinking because you're within a constraint. So the question I would, I, so what I would do is I go, well, you can't get to great thinking unless you remove, you just got to throw that away for a second. Let's say that didn't exist. Let's say the constraints didn't exist, that the leaders of the company weren't immovable as they seem to be. Let's remove that. And then, and then let's start with asking yourself some powerful questions about the issues at hand, whatever the problems are. And you'll come up with better solutions that aren't based on reproduction. The reason if you keep those constraints there, the thinking you're going to come up with is reproduced thinking because it's based on what already exists. And what I'm saying is you've got to eliminate that. You got to eliminate the barriers, the physical or mental barriers. It could be within yourself too, right? Mental barriers, there's constraints about our beliefs about ourselves and so forth. All this crowd is super talented, but I can even think of myself, like if we're really honest with ourselves, there's opportunities there always. And what are those constraints we need to get rid of to really get to problem solving you know, the world needs or our business needs or our life needs. How do you guide people through that process that work for you or work with you? Our culture is a very innovative culture. It's collaborative. Everybody sits out together. We break up comfort constantly by moving chairs around and make sure people sit with different people. I treat everybody as if they're owners of the company, um, because they actually are once they hit certain, uh, time span with us. And, and I speak to them that way. And I think that there's a couple things. It's dealing in reality. It's getting to a place of not hiding things or not spinning things with people you may lead or influence, but respecting their intelligence to a level to where you can tell them the, the truth. If things are tough or things are good and what, what's tough. And, and if you have the right people, they will respond correctly. And it also getting rid of fear. The fear-based culture is destructive to the kind of thinking and ingenuity you want. And you really want to have an organization with brilliant minds that are allowed to think. And we bring those together um, and let people share their ideas and, and solve problems and own the company from not only a, it doesn't even have to be an equity standpoint, but from a, you know, just a, a mentality standpoint, um, people solve problems and it gets rid of a lot of constraints. And so, you know, I think that's huge. I think just really having, uh, instead of a hierarchical kind of leadership, you know, being, you know, right there with your people. I mean, I sit, I don't even have a private office. I sit out there with, uh, with everybody. So it's my co-founder and, and we're building the company together. And I think that frees people to, wow, this is my company. If they see something that should be better. They have the freedom to talk about it, even if it means changing our business model. Okay. Awesome. So it can be as simple as changing the physical arrangement of how people interact to, of course, the complexities of a company culture that's actually based on 
sort of open space and an open door versus just the like the Wall Street version of open door, which is just like the door's open. But if you go in there, man, you're going to regret it. That type of thinking. I definitely see that. And then what about the what type of powerful questions? I mean, that seems pretty vague. What does that mean? If I've removed those sort of constraints, if I've got myself into a good mental space, then what do I do? I mean, what are the questions that we can ask ourselves that result in change? Yeah. So specifically, you can ask yourself, what do I not know that I need to know about my leadership? If you ask questions, a lot of people are afraid of those kinds of things. It prompts you now to discover that with getting feedback and proactively getting feedback from people, for example. Or if there's a problem in your business, it's asking yourself a question around that. Like, what in our business model is limiting people from selling courses and doing well with that? Or what in our technology needs to be adjusted and just being open to significant change if that's the case or shifting things completely. And those might not sound powerful at first glance, but you'd be surprised. I mean, how many people don't ask themselves those things with an openness to actually be receptive to changing it? Because we develop pride. We develop a level of conviction in the things we're doing that sometimes are wrong. And if we're not asking ourselves questions that go against even our convictions, then we become blinded and become less relevant as either a leader or as a company. Yeah, I, I definitely can see that. We we have to be able to catch ourselves making bad decisions or lacking clear thinking or constantly refining our thinking. All right, back to it. We might be hypercritical of ourselves when we see photographs of ourselves or looking in a mirror and things like that, but when it comes to our thinking, it's really hard to have a mirror in the first place that can show us where we're biased, where we're prejudice, anything like that. How do we catch ourselves making bad decisions, biased decisions, lacking clear thinking? Well, you got to create an environment where people can actually give you that feedback and then they might still not. So right. I have made a habit of at the end of conversations asking, how can I lead better? How can we work better? How can we create a better culture? And we have a great culture, but Sometimes when you have something that's great in your eyes, it prevents you from asking the question and now your culture is already deteriorating. You don't even see it. And then it's where you don't want it. And that's the same thing about yourself. It's like, it's just essential to be candid and it forces you and it's painful, right? Cause it's like, Ooh, what are they going to say? Right. But you know what? If you ask those questions and you're able to get feedback and you take it well, your stock in other people's eyes go skyrocket. I'd way rather get criticism from somebody because I asked for it than have them talk to somebody else about me. Oh, that's a good point. That's definitely a good point. Do you put this in practice in your marriage? I do. I do. Absolutely. It should be more, right? I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But yes, I mean, we go on dates and we visionary together. I ask her, you know, hey, how can I be a better husband? But you know what? It could be practiced more. Yeah, I would imagine one of those is, stop getting me pregnant. <laughs> Six kids, man, you're cut off. Your, your life must be insane. You run a company that's innovative. You have a huge family. How do you set up your priorities? I mean, yeah, okay, family first and stuff. That's so easy to say. It's so hard to do when you're like in love with the project 
things are going well there. If you don't manage it, that falls apart. I mean, in a lot of ways, it must be like being married to two different things. I'm so glad you brought it up. I'm passionate about this. And I believe we don't change until it's necessary. And a lot of times people won't do things. I know this is a highly successful group, but I'm speaking to myself here. Okay. So what I've learned is if I have to have it all figured out before I take part of something, then sometimes I will not do it. And so I live a disciplined life. I live a great life. I have a good time. Uh, I raise my kids and it's a challenge. There's no such thing as balanced life. I mean, I think that's a complete joke and I think it's an integrated life. It's a life that you're on purpose doing what you're called to do in family and work. And so how that plays out is, you know, if I say I'm going to be home for dinner, I need to honor that. I need to make that important. Now she understands if there's an emergency or some changes that happen in entrepreneurship, we all get that. But it's as much as you're trying to be a great leader in your work life, you got to be a great leader for your spouse both ways. And, and you've got to be a great leader for your kids. And I just, I have little phrases that remind me of how to stay on track, which is there's no more important people in the world to impact than my children. My children potentially have the greatest legacy, no matter what they do of, of anybody, because I'm with them the most. And so if we have perspective, it doesn't mean quantity of time. Like there's times where I'm working like crazy because we're doing things, we're building the company and those kinds of things. But it doesn't mean I'm neglecting the time I do have with the kids and nourishing it. And I think it's really important to visionary with your kids, visionary with your wife, make decisions with them or with your husband and make decisions together and really make them a part of it. So, you know, my kids aren't necessarily a deep part of our business, right? It doesn't really work out that way, but they know things. I respect them. I teach them what's happening. I include them in some decisions we've made. They're not clueless. They're involved at a level of where they can be mentally. And definitely my wife knows what's going on. She feels like she's building the company with us, even though she doesn't have an official role and she doesn't show up to the office very often. You know, us being married together is, is a huge catalyst for success in anything that I'm doing or she's doing. She's a speaker, you know, author herself. We help each other. And so I think it's, it's messy. It's not supposed to look perfect. It, balanced life, you have to throw that out the door. And then you get to decide what's important to you and understand that there's things that are going to teeter-totter. Sometimes you're working really hard. But if communication is strong, if respect is strong because you're proactively doing that, then when it gets tough, you're going to understand each other. Your kids are going to understand it and things will work out well. When you're thinking about your kids, obviously you have lofty expectations for them. I mean, we talked before, you know, change the world, right? How are you fostering that? I mean, I know we didn't think about talking about parenting in this episode, but I think it actually kind of makes sense because balancing the family is, you know, or not balancing the family, integrating the family with the passion projects that you have at work because you're not just, you know, like a bean counter at some firm. How do the kids fit in? Like you said, yes, they're not a huge part of the business, but obviously you've got to have a vision for them for the future and, and ways that you're nudging them and what you think is the right direction. Yeah, I think what I'm not doing is putting unrealistic expectations verbally on them, but what I am doing is equipping them for whatever they're called to do, not what I'm called to do. I think the biggest mistake people make is we expect their kids to be passionate about what they're passionate and skilled at. And it's different. People are wired differently. I have six of them. They're all completely different from being born on. It's amazing. And what we have done is really learned about the differences in our kids and learned to respect those differences 
and cultivate interest. You know, a friend of mine calls it delight directed study, where they are learning things that they love to learn that fit who they are. For example, I don't play guitar, but my son loves guitar and he's into that. He's better at fixing things around the house than I am, and he's 10 years old. And I have a daughter who's loves cooking. Like she loves it and she's amazing at it. She can cook for the whole family. She's done even a little catering on the side and she's 14. And she loves to read. So finding what they love to do and then nourishing that versus nourishing what we love to do. And I think that's a big deal. And then that is equipping them in alignment with their callings, vision, and passions. We don't know what exactly those things are and they don't either. But if you equip them in the direction they're supposed to go based on their natural interests and inclinations, then whatever's supposed to work out for them, they're going to be set up for. You got a huge family. You've got the business, of course, as well that you're focused on constantly. And you've got a vineyard. I mean, how do you stay focused or are you not that focused? I mean, it seems like you could be in danger of spreading yourself pretty thin here with all those projects and all those endeavors. No, that's a great point. And the reality is I am very focused, but it, these are all within a timeline, right? So there's a season when we're planting the vineyard and getting that going now that I've moved to Bend. Somebody's, you know, taking care of that. Y you know, what I will say is focus is a crucial, crucial key. And even if somebody has a lot of things going on, if they're successful, I'm willing to bet that they're very, very focused. Here's an example actually from the vineyard. I mean, it, you know, when we were growing this, that takes three years to produce fruit. Usually in a business, it takes about three years to start getting some profit, unless it's some really huge business. And it takes seven years in a vineyard to have the quality of grapes to produce great wine. And that's uh, the same a lot of times for a business. It takes about, or an organization it takes about seven years to really get the kind of really tipping point traction that we like to see. And the reason a vineyard becomes, produces grapes good enough for wine is because when the crop grows, you have to cut half of the fruit off. And I always remember this because I had a consultant helping me and no idea what I was doing. I was doing whatever he told me to do and it was going well. But once we had the crop up there, he goes, now you need to cut half of it off and drop it to the ground. And I'm like, what? Three years of work, this beautiful fruit looks amazing. And you're telling me to throw half of it away. Yeah. Why would you, why do you do that? That seems ridiculous. This is ridiculous. You got to remember just like us, we have only so much energy only so much bandwidth. And just like a plant, there's a the finite amount of energy coming from a plant. And if you take that finite amount of energy and put it into all of that fruit, you create average fruit because that energy is dispersed so much. You can't even make wine with that. It won't produce good wine. And so to create great wine, one of the aspects is cut half of the fruit off. Is it good fruit? Yes. It could be as good as the other fruit but you cut half of the fruit off. So all of the energy goes in half of the fruit. And now it produces not just twice as good grapes. I mean, it's, it's much better grapes to produce great wine. And that's much like our lives. And so we have to ask ourselves, especially achievers, high performance people, people that have, are attractive to the world and there's opportunities coming their way all the time. It's very important to look at your fruit and be selective. Is this in alignment with what's most important for my path and what I'm supposed to do? Is this, is this something that's important? So for example, I have this tech company throwing boulders, but we did a strategic partnership with Choose Growth to build a product 
with the two companies. So you can do more than one business as long as the businesses are close enough and helping each other enough so you're not divided. I really believe you got to be very focused. I have stopped working on the vineyard to focus more on cheese growth and throwing boulders, right? For example, because I can't do all of those things. So somebody is doing that. Um, you know, with the family, I've had meetings with them where, hey, it's busy right now. We're building the business. So I might not be there as much, but when I am, let's do some fun things and make these things happen. And here's the vision. Here's why. And here's what we're all doing together. And when that's there, when I'm not there for dinner sometimes, then they're okay with that. But I also have to be on, on it when I am there with the kids. And so just ask yourself, how is your fruit looking? And if it's good, then you might want to cut some out. And it's just like Jim Collins says, you got to go from good to great. And some of it might be great. Some of it might be good, but I'm always analyzing that. What do I need to say no to so that what I say yes to truly makes a difference? And when I'm older and I'm looking back to the caliber of impact and quality that I'd be proud of, it made a difference. And so I think when we're living that way, we have far less regret and far more of the right attraction uh, with the things we're doing. So as an entrepreneur and on that same note, for me, talking with the entrepreneur buddies, we can just be having a drink somewhere trying not to talk about business and somebody comes up with an amazing idea Always, it's unavoidable. I'm sure you're the same way. What if there was a thing that did this? Oh man, you could have a coder do that. My team could totally handle that part. Oh, we'd need a sales team. Well, this guy has one of those and you could integrate it with this, but you need a connection with them. Well, I have that. I mean, that happens so much that if you're not focused, especially when you start to have that big network, you can come up with an idea for what might be a winning business pretty much every day and really get off, off track. How do you choose projects? I mean, how do you look at one project and say, this is something I really want to start and do, and other ideas just go, yeah, that's a cool idea. Hopefully somebody will do that one day, but you know, that's not my thing or not my thing right now. Because you've been in business businesses for 20 plus years, right? Yep. So you've had good ideas, terrible ideas, and everything in between, and you've executed on some and not on others. Some have succeeded and some have probably failed. How did you pick the winners out of the whole mess of ideas that you have as somebody who's in the space? So I think you have to have some rules for yourself. I mean, because you can easily get sidetracked if you're a visionary creative or a relational or, you know, somebody that's, you know, very successful, you're attracting success. As you said, you have to weed through that. Even if you get asked to be on a board, for example, take that seriously. You know, what is the time commitment to that? And, you know, what's the benefit to time ratio and what is the opportunity cost to other things? So I'm always looking at, okay, well, what is the give here? Because it's not like there's, you know, more time, I could always become more efficient, but most people listening to this are pretty efficient with their time. So you have to ask yourself, what is the opportunity cost of this thing? Is this in alignment with my vision, my overall vision? It doesn't have to be super specific, but my overall vision for my life. For example, you're making money is fantastic, but if it's not also having a big impact on people, then I'm not very interested. So one of the rules I have is if an opportunity came my way and it was just about making money, I'm going to say no to that if it didn't have the ability to have significance in the world 
um, that matches my vision. I'll give you a quick story on that. One time, you know, someone proved to me that his ability to uh, invest in racehorses would yield big returns. And he showed me proof after I said no of one that he told me to invest in and then ended up winning or whatever, right? And so I was like, okay, it's some extra money, no big deal. And I decided to buy two young racehorses. And I never met these horses. They're all taken care of for me. And the goal was you resell them. Well, then the economy crashed. I got rid of one of them. And one of them I couldn't get rid of. And so now I've got to race this thing. I've got to keep going. I've got to keep paying the medical bills, 1500 a month. I've got to keep all this going and that going. And you have to name your horse in the beginning and get it registered. And I called it Storming Angel uh, because you have to name it after something in the lineage that makes sense. And it, was, it had all the right you know, lineage and all this. Long story short, at the very end of this, when they find a problem with a bone in the horse, and I have to give the horse away is the end of the story. Um, and the horse was fine. He just lived with kids and did on some ranch somewhere. But the moral of the story is they came to me and said, we've been trying to figure this out the whole time. Why did you name your horse expensive decision? And I was just floored. I'm like, God, what are you, are you just teaching me a lesson here? I mean, I have the paperwork that says I called it storming angel and they were laughing at me the whole time because on its paperwork, it was called the horse was officially named expensive decision. And nobody told me that is funny. And so that lesson is valuable because it broke my rule. It broke my rule of racing horses. Isn't significant to me. It's just a money thing. I'm not even in the sport. So, I broke a rule there and I think, what are your rules? Make some rules that are based on you and what you care about that help you say no to things that are not in alignment and would detract from the things you have going on so you can say yes even more fully to the things that are in alignment. Yeah, so basically you have to come up with some core values that you then stick to and figure out how to apply in a very real sense. Like, does this move me forward economically? Yes. Okay, if so, does this move me forward whatever other sort of criteria you have intellectually? No, it's kind of brainless and repetitive and not fun. All right, then I'm not doing it. Exactly. What are your core values? that Can you share with us some of when, the ones that you have? Some are probably personal. Well, I shared one, which is, um, does it have significant impact on people? Mm-hmm. I like things that do that. I would say another is, does it detract from the current things I have that are most important? One being family, right? I will make a choice to not do a great opportunity if it takes me even more away from my kids, even after being super efficient, right? So, you know, my current responsibilities, does it improve the value I'm already bringing or does it detract from those current responsibilities I care about, like choose growth and throwing boulders and, you know, my family and the things I'm doing? So, some things are a shoe in like, it's like, wow, that really makes sense. And you know, I'm a faith-based guy, so I'll pray about it too. I'll pray about it and, you know, really think through it too. So I think that's key. It's a good question. How much do your core values on that same token, how much do your core values make up your identity? I mean, would you say that it seems like they both come from your identity slash make up your identity? Yeah, I think your experiences make up a lot of the convictions we have to improve the world come from the pain in our past. A lot of past has to do with what we're doing today. And I think, obviously, if you have faith, that that can influence your core values. And I think your parents, if they you know instilled those in you, can influence those. But at the same time, there's something that is unique about everybody, is that there's no one else like you. And I know everybody knows that, but 
you're going to have core values that matter to you that may not matter to the people closest to you sometimes or may not matter to your family. And you might get some flack that way, right? So yeah. it's really, really personal. And I think it, it's worth spending some serious time on it. So you know what to say no to, what to say yes to, and feel great about it and never feel guilty about what you say no to. How do you manage that when your core values, maybe your family thinks that's stupid or you shouldn't be doing this or you're wasting your time on this? How do you manage that? Because it's easy to be like, forget what everybody else says. Don't listen to the naysayers. It's tough when it's like your wife, your mom, your dad, your brother. You know, it's tough. You got to ask yourself, are they fully informed? Is it emotionally charged because of your lack of information to them? You know, are you giving them partial information? Are you sharing things with them only when they're negative? Versus get, making sure you're giving the people you love a balanced view of what you're doing. Often when things are positive, you never share it. You only share when things are negative. So Maybe. true. So guilty of that myself and, sometimes. And so especially with your wife or husband, your significant other, you know, you've got to share a balanced view. So there's times where I will, I will uh, purposely share and celebrate. Hey, honey, let's go out to eat. This happened. We're building this together. And so then when, when I need to share something negative, it's balanced. And they have a really good perspective. So when you're analyzing that, ask yourself, do they really know? Is it really their fault that they're being negative to me right now when they just love me and they don't have the same information I have? Even if you think they do, they probably don't. And then I would say, take very few opinions. You have to be very careful who you will allow to speak into your life, whether they're family or not. And if you're somebody that is very successful compared to people in your family, I bet there's a lot of people like that to listen in. You have to remember that where people feel insecure, when you are starting to succeed beyond them, they have a subconscious insecurity that's forming within them. And with the way that comes out sometimes is doubt in you, doubt in your direction. And it's very challenging, as we all know, to pursue something meaningful and exciting and entrepreneurial. And what's going to come with that is that sometimes people close to us that, you know, just don't understand and we have to love them. We have to respect them, but we don't have to listen to them. You have to be careful who you listen to. You have to really think about it. And then on the flip side, sometimes they're trying to beat you over the head and they're right. How do we make that sort of distinction, right? Whether or not they're right or wrong. That's tough. Well, it is super tough, and I don't think there's a perfect answer for that, but it is something to think about. And then what I've always done is ask those questions. How much information do they know? Do they understand? Are they wired similar to me? Some people are just way more conservative in their risk-taking. So you have to take that into account. They're wired differently. If everybody was a risk-taker in this world, there'd be absolute chaos. Yeah, yeah. Right? Some people are that you know risk-adverse energy to cause us to wake up. So understanding that, I think understanding the differences in people is great. I think it's good to get opinions from people that are very different than us too, to speak into our life. But then you have to be the person that goes, I'll take this. I'm not going to take this, but it's never in an emotional state, like over emotional state, or you're never in a prideful arrogance state. Because I think when we do things out of arrogance in emotion, like negative emotion or out of fear, we're probably making a wrong decision. Do you think your core values evolve over time or do you think you just discover more of them as you get more mature and develop yourself? <laughs> I think that's a whole nother podcast. I think it might be. I think it might be but, right. But, but, uh, but I love the question. And I think, um, I think it really depends on how you would define 
core values. Some people have core values in a company that are created. Some people have core values they live by that they've made decisions about. And then I think there is an aspect of us though. There's a different way to look at it. There's a core to who we are as human beings that is like nobody else. And we bring who we are to the world and it's our job to learn and know about who we are so we can make the greatest contribution to the world within who we are instead of outside of who we are. Because when we do it outside of who we are, we're just trying to be like somebody else. And it's going to be frustrating even if you're successful. Thanks so much, Isaac. This has been brilliant. Wow. Thank you. It's great to be here, Jordan. I love what you're doing. Good stuff from Isaac Tulp in Positive Disruption, Reproductive versus Productive Thinking, or maybe the other way around. Asking powerful questions and how to do that the right way. And of course, catching yourself making biased decisions, lacking clear thinking, those core values always cropping up as well. You hear a lot about that here at AOC. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show is a fanarchy, which means it's run by you, the listeners. And we rely on you to keep our finger on the pulse and find the right fits for the show. So if you know someone who's a good match, let me know, jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Isaac on Twitter. We're going to link that up in the show notes on the website at theartofcharm.com slash podcast. Of course, bootcamp details also at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And if you're listening to this but you're not subscribed, go ahead and do that. That really helps us get iTunes rankings and leave us a review. That does even more. Really appreciate it. I do see all of those. And of course, we have our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone and slash Android. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in the production of the Art of Charm podcast. Please go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found it. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 